Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today we have Joe Orr on the show. Hi, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Brent? That's, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Joe, and I'm excited to get more into all of the things that you're working on. Joe is the president of Harvest Moon Innovations. Um, it is an insurance consultancy and advisory firm that works hand-in-hand with insurance retail agencies general agencies, carriers, lead aggregators, and web-based information companies to uh, really help them kind of build out tangible and sustainable solutions going forward. But we'll get more into Harvest Moon innovations in a second. And and before we do that, just Joe, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your background and your career today. Yeah, it's it's an interesting little story, I think. Uh, I come from traditional media, uh, television commercials, TV shows, things of that nature. Uh, So uh, we had a a firm in California with offices in in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, we were poking around this internet thing, kind of started rolling along in the late 90s, and we thought it might be something we should pay attention to. Uh, So we uh, put together, you know, found whoever we thought knew something about this and created an internet company division of our media company um, and uh, did some fun stuff with Microsoft and Fujitsu. None of us had a clue what we were doing in those days. We just did stuff. And um, I was introduced to a gentleman named Alan Snyder, a visionary, uh, brilliant guy who thought insurance, financial services products would be perfect for this internet. So we built a prototype of what insurance might look like on this internet, and uh, interested to go raise a bunch of money and start a company called Answer Financial, which was kind of the, one of the first generation of online kind of insurance, digitally centric agencies. Uh, shortly thereafter, he asked me, would you like to be interested in coming over here and figuring out how insurance works online? I knew nothing about insurance, and none of us had a clue about online. Um, but I was at a good point in my career. I'd be ready to sell the business, so I transitioned and said, sure. So fast forward for 20 plus years. Uh, I actually like to tell people that what I do, no one did before me. It didn't exist before. So I'm kind of one of those first-gen insurance guys in the BNC world distribution. Some life, some health, bring around it. Uh, so that's kind of how I ended up there. That company was sold for a number of places and ultimately all state. Uh, I decided it would be I'd rather be on my own than being part of an ultra ultra large insurance company. Nice company, but uh, I just thought I'd uh, have more fun doing my own thing. So I've been consulting um, occasionally. A client will, you know, convince me to go in and work for them when I run their operation. But yeah. primarily, I like to get things up and running, started, kind of find that new wrinkle that uh, uh, could be interesting. So anyway, yeah. I mean, of- if you think about how. Uh, 
how insurance has evolved over the years. I mean, it's going to be really, I, I'm excited to hear more about all of the things that you guys come across at, at Harvest Moon. You have, you have lived the creation of a digital insurance world, as well as probably the disintermediation of elements of that along the way and, and the recreation of it. So tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing with Harvest Moon Innovations now and how you guys work with the various uh, clients that you, you uh, spend time with. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, one of the things in working with Canary, oddly enough, it made me actually sit down and go, okay, who are my clients? What do I do? Uh, which is kind of, I hate to admit that I just did stuff. Uh, I've been fortunate that people usually contact me with whatever they want. Uh, so I do very little prospecting. So it was the first time I ever sat down and said, what do I do exactly? And what do people pay me to do? So uh, what I do is I either create digitally centric insurance agencies for a range of clients. That could be from an insurance company that wants to add a, a, com a comparative platform to their offering to their customers all the way through what we now refer to as embedded insurance, where you've got a, a product, say a home security product, which is a very, very adjacent product to insurance. So I help them build out their insurance offering. Um, it's a very complex business, so it takes a fair bit of knowledge and time to get things operational. So I do a lot of that. And then when people have an agency or they're not quite coming along as they should or they need to add more digital component, I can come in and help there. So that's primarily where I work. Um, so today I work with a lot of insure techs getting their agencies up, um, as well as more and more of the uh, embedded up insurance opportunities. You know, I think of in, in my life, the I had a I had a business that I started with my wife. Um, my wife was, uh, she still is, but she, she, she has been a Spanish teacher in her career at various schools, high schools. And along the way, she was asked to take students to uh, Spanish countries to, you know, have the have kind of a immersion experience. And so we thought, oh, well, why don't we create a company to do that? <laughs> and uh, I, I'll never forget. We did. We set up a business. We ran it for three years. It was starting to become quite a sizable little business. And um, and somebody said to us, uh, oh, well, have you, uh, have you, do you have insurance on the business? And, and I said, uh, yeah, because I had, I had gone to get basic insurance and, um, you know, I quickly realized that uh, I needed more insurance and quickly realized that for that type of a business, uh, insurance was extremely expensive <laughs> because of uh, all the liabilities that you you undertook when you took uh, the precious children of of wealthy Americans abroad. So <laughs> that was that was uh, so that was I think the end of that business, to be honest. But I mean, I'm excited to talk to you more about how insurance has evolved and how how insurance works for for small to medium sized businesses and. Uh, really kind of the, the, the ways that you see it re being reshaped, um, you know, in the near future. Well, you know, what's interesting, it, it, people talk about the digital revolution of insurance, and it certainly has changed the beast. 
However, I'm of the opinion that the primary differences have been less on the distribution front end and more on product development and how the product itself works its way through, you know, an infrastructure of an insurance company. I think that's been way more revolutionary. Um, you could argue evolutionary. Just simple stuff where it used to take years and years and years for an insurance company to change a product just to have a new offering uh, to adjust the prices, add features and functions. Where now they've invested heavily where they can do that in a fraction of the time. It still takes some time, but it's very, they can do it so much faster and respond to the marketplace so much more efficiently. Um, and you touched on one of the places that, you know, is not a very efficient way, especially the old way, it'd be the micro segment in small business, which is the largest growing segment, is this very small, as you described, your company of the husband and wife started this little endeavor and grew it into a decent size, but it's still a small business. And when insurance looks at that, frankly, writing that kind of small business policy is not profitable for the agent. It's too much work and too little commission. I mean, premium and thus little commission. So I think people are starting to come up with solutions to that. Um, and once again, you're looking at this embedded concept of versus trying to get you to find an insurance company. We find you in the associations you're involved with, the various kinds of business organizations where we can offer the insurance through those affinity relationships um, that are geared to you. So the idea that you're going to be a member and join things that are related to your business is where the five foot the insurance is gaining more headway. Um, I like that. So somehow kind of maybe even benefiting from those uh, associations in some form or fashion and how you can perhaps create kind of a larger or l larger group of people that could then somehow benefit from being part of that larger body. So maybe avoiding some of the weaknesses that we have in terms of the small, the, the tiny, small businesses. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, traders, for instance, can come to mind, okay? That's a very small niche group that does need insurance. It's not a big premium insurance, but they need it. So you can find those members and bring your offering to them through the affiliated relationships that a trainer would just normally have. Um, so you're seeing that, I think, take hold across the board, both small business and P&C especially where you've got auto-related companies where insurance should be offered. Because um, you're looking at the, I mean, the problem with insurance, especially when you get into auto and home, is that there are virtually no new customers being generated. So it's a zero-sum game. So how do you get to an efficient distribution partnership outside of, you know, the Geico's and Progressive's of the world who are spending billions and billions of dollars in advertising? Um, so uh, it's a very interesting infrastructure of how the small and the large both play together. And uh, so I think that's one of the things I've seen is that the small guys are not making headway. The big guys Do you think that as we move forward, Joe, I mean, we, we see those massive organizations, uh, the, the Warren Buffett enterprises, <laughs> um, you know, and and how... How does one compete against that type of scale? I mean, 
I had a call recently with a large international insurance company that had a modest sized presence in the US. And to be completely honest, I said, I don't know how you can beat it. I mean, it's a highly regulated product. You're not going to come up with some wild and crazy niche idea that's going to just blow it out. Uh, it's a slow moving business, it's an actuarial based business. You know, you're to risk it first. So if you, you know, are Geico progressive, you know, that are just gobbling up market share. They're just growing and growing and growing. Have been. I mean, I remember a decade ago, a senior executive of a major insurance company was saying, well, here's when progressive will become number three. This is when the, it wasn't a matter of if. It was there, you know, these companies are good at what they do and they've got plenty of capital and they're just marching forward. Uh, so now you've got, you know, the companies are really good at what they do, and then you've got others that are buying others, so they're consolidating. So I don't I mean, insurance is bought locally, not nationally. Right. But I think the size and scale are just dominant. I don't, I don't well, think... Well, I, I tell you, I, even with all these big players and all the fancy ads that they run, it's still, uh, if, I, if I look at all the forms of, of insurance, it's still a wildly complex area. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I think whether I look at like health insurance and the dilemmas that people have on that front, there seems to be still a ton of room for innovation, uh, just from a consumer perspective to making it, making it easier, uh, making it um, less complex for folks to, uh, and, and maybe less time consuming. I mean, I still, with some of these insurance brokers, I, I, yes, they're using technology, but sometimes they're still asking me to take PDFs and scan them. And <laughs> you're just like, well, you're using technology. Congratulations. However, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I could just email these things to you. You know, <laughs> so it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's part of the problems, of course, are it's highly, highly, highly regulated. Yeah. And if you actually read some of the insurance statutes, they're written 20, 30, 40 years ago that have not been upgraded. So we all stuck in this world of it took us forever to get things like electronic signature accepted. You know, things that in normal business, you'd say, oh, you need a signature, we'll do it this way. Insurance, and don't forget, you got to go to 51, you know, 50 states and one in DC to get anything. So it's very, it's archaic. Yeah, and the state, the state by state regulations are going to be fascinating. Um, I was informed today that, um, you know, during 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 COVID, a lot of people were spending time with things like telemedicine, yep, and yep. and um, I think that the health boards of each state have become very aware of that and i guess new york has now made it illegal for telemedicine to occur outside of the state of new york so you can you can still you can do telemedicine but it has to be done within the state <laughs> so if you're in, if you're in florida no 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 doctor's visits for you <laughs> yeah, it's a great point because i know i was talking to a friend of mine who's a therapist and Beginning of COVID, they didn't know what to do. 
Then they got directories from their various states, your, your Department of Insurance, saying, do whatever you want to do for now. We'll tell you what you can do in the future. So they just blew the, the telemed just took off and said, okay, now they're coming back and saying things like that. Okay, it's, where, where does this go? Your doctor's in New York, can you go to Florida for the winter? Can you now drip it? I can do this with no. Now they're going to shut these things back down. So I, I think so. They're going to find ways to, you know, it's as as people disintermediate models, more walls get built. Sometimes those walls fall down. Uh, it's kind of part of the whole innovation process, but certainly it's not going to be as seamless as suddenly we're all together. And I, and I, and I, and I, I would imagine it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that each state has their own regulation on how you get approved to be a physician or a lawyer or whatever. And so it may, it, 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 there is some logic there, obviously, but somehow the consumer is the one that gets, gets kind of hurt a little bit is from a convenience perspective. So tell, let's talk about how COVID impacted things. I mean, I, I, I have so many questions on how insurance and COVID were related in and of themselves, but you know, just from a business perspective, how how have you fared through this whole process? Well, oddly enough, nothing changed um, per se. I mean, I'd say we as an industry were fairly used to. I mean, I didn't discover Zoom during COVID. We had been Zooming for a long time before COVID came out. It just uh, we just stopped traveling. Um, and so I think we all learned maybe we traveled a little too much before, got in the habit of just getting on planes and doing it. Um, but we also, I think, have had a very sobering uh, experience of, no, we still need human contact. Um, you know, I like the uh, concept that Zooming is very difficult to build social capital. It's where we expend social capital. So if I know you really well, I can Zoom with you and we can still make, remain that closeness and understanding and intimacy of our you know, past, but I'm burning it up. I need to burn some more. I need to have some time with people you know, to just catch up on the stuff you normally do. How's the family? How you feeling? How's life? Oh God, you got a promotion. You know, that's great news. Let's have a uh, celebrate. Uh, so I think, you know, that was a big learning. The business, depending on the nature of the business, PNC became hugely profitable because no one drove anywhere. <laughs> so they gave back billions of dollars and still didn't get back enough. Um, so they kind of hunkered down there. So COVID was a positive. Shopping went down at the beginning. Um, then it bounced back up. But still, there's a little more stability than there was um, in terms of people maintaining their existing coverages. Um, so the life industry exploded for demand. However, there was no supply. Yeah, so- <laughs> I was curious because, I mean, I, look, you, you know, you always, it's just one of those things that in anybody who's worked in a uh, kind of a research situation tells you that this is what you should never do for research or understanding, but it's also how we learn as humans, which is personal experience. I I very, very clearly remember in that in April of last year with COVID, my 
my wife was obsessed with making sure that we review all of our insurance policies and, you know, because of the, the concerns, obviously, that what if something happens, you know? So I, I'm curious if there, if, if, if you, you saw that type of a surge or whether that was just something unique to my household. No, no, definitely the life insurance world, there was a big surge, big demand for that. Um, now, of course, the industry was just the opposite. Oh, we need a stock because we're not quite sure what our actuarial tables are going to look like with COVID, this new pandemic, how does the world work? So they were slowing down while people were saying, no, 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 I want life insurance. And uh, I, I do think in life insurance, all the insurance you know, industries is the one that's the most right for innovation. Uh, it's not as heavily regulated as PNC and health. And um, things like wearables and other things are making it uh, way more friendly than having to get full fluids, blood tests, etc. So I think that's an area that uh, maybe COVID has said, hey, you know, you, you, we as a population are underinsured for life. There's not, you know, and, and that's clearly because we, the industry says, this is how you have to buy it. And the consumers clearly said, I don't like buying it that way. <laughs> you know, so We've had this two phase going, no, 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 you have to do it this way. No, we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. There's so many segments like that. It's, um, you know, it, when I worked at Burnett, Leo Burnett back in the day in the marketing advertising world, I remember talking yeah. a lot about how customers were, uh, there was always a segment of customers that were essentially hostages, hostages to the choices. They didn't like uh, ideally like those choices, but... Uh, they were kind of he held that way. I'd say that probably anyone who's had to go through the process of getting a mobile phone plan feels that way. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, there's not, there's never a plan that makes any sense uh, to to the way I live my life. So, but you you're hostage to what is off on offer, and and probably the insurance segment uh, sectors it has has characteristics of that as well, uh, for sure. For sure. Well, I mean, as, as you look about uh, how things are going to evolve over the next couple of years, uh, tell, tell me what excites you. What, what are the, the trends that are, are promising? You know, we're in an interesting space. And let's talk about the auto insurance industry. Um, there was a really good article recently going, where's the innovation coming from and is it going to happen? So will innovation come from the major carriers or will it come from insure techs who are trying to disintermediate the market? Or will there just not going to be it? That it's just going to be the way it is and that's going to go. And you've got to remember with the auto insurance industry is that we have the driverless car coming at us. Whether that's 20 years, you know, 10 years, probably not then, but 20, 30, 40. It's coming. So the industry as we know it is going to go away. It's going to change completely where the liability of the insurance will be on the manufacturer. And you'll just have car insurance in case a tree or a flood or something hits your car. But if it has an accident, that's not what your insurance covers. That's the manufacturer covers since they represent that they it's autonomous. So that that's a it's an interesting business. 
Then you have homeowners who are, the big thing there is that the telematics of home, that there are more and more and more devices in the home. So we have the IoT of homes. And now you're going, what exactly is home insurance? It used to be essentially fire insurance. Now it's got a lot of nuance. So I think you're going to see some explosion there on top of capacity issues that whether, you know, political persuasion, but, you know, climate change is a reality and it's changing the nature of perils and the severity of perils. So I think you're going to see home insurance premiums just continuously going up uh, because we're chasing events that we don't even know how to predict yet. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it, it does certainly feel like every every summer and every winter uh, has more extreme examples of, of weather. Uh, and, you know, I've seen seen it happen uh, in you know, the northeast. There's a drought going on. Uh, there are fires on the West Coast and and the lovely hurricanes uh, in the Florida panhandle continue to swirl. So uh, all of those, I think, present problems. But I think the point that you just mentioned, I find particularly interesting, which is the relationship of insurance to data. And the, the, I've seen it, obviously, and we've all tracked it in the auto insurance space as larger insurance brokers have tried to collect more data on the habits of drivers and they use that as a new variable in their their models. I think that's fascinating, and and I will we'll, and and I think you just outlined how that could also impact the home. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I I I could also say that you could do the same thing in the workplace as well. I imagine um, the, the the challenge then obviously then becomes that natural challenge of what is. What, where is the that that line between the collection of that information and and privacy of some sort and and certainly I think if there's a probably a mutually beneficial trade of value then there's probably ways that it can be structured but uh, there will continue to be that debate but as we have more data I, one would imagine that there should be. Uh, more ways for a more a more accurate or even more flexibility in, in the insurance structures. No, yeah, well, we, we have this weird nexus that we keep talking about it around it and not gaining any clarity. The insurance industry is going to work better and better and better with more and more data. The more predictive analytics, you know, all the insurance industry is, whether it's health, right, B and C is predictive analytics. What is the likely outcome of this risk? And that's data centric. So they're gonna get better and better and better. However, the consumer over here says, I want this to be easier. Mm. And the industry is saying, no, 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 no. We don't wanna be easier, we want more data. So the consumer is saying, this is, how much is this? And they say, well, give me all your data and I'll really tell you how much it should be. Mm. So we have this weird conflict between Ease of use and the desire for more data, mm. more questions, more things. Um, so, and, and that's very much where we are today. We've got insurance companies that are offering product that literally give you the name of the press and can give you a bindable, accurate quote. Okay, well, that implies I am pulling all kinds of data sources on you. 
So I think we should either say we're open to our data being used for all my needs. Um, that implies someone is collecting it. And um, I kind of get over the fact that the data is out there. Versus, okay, we're going to try to go backwards in time to secure data, increase privacy. I like to say that, guys, we lost this war in the 60s. You know, we, we didn't wake up until it was too late. It's over. They have the data. It's, we lost. No one paid attention when they were gathering it. I mean, Axiom has more data on farms in Arkansas than there are people in America. Yeah. So uh, I go, I'm a strong advocate of, let's make sure we're using it, let the user decide how and where it gets used, but let's not fight the fact that the data is there and it's being gathered and it's highly useful. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. We've been talking to Joe Orr. Um, he's the president of Harvest Moon Innovations, which is a company that acts as a, an advisor and a consultant for the insurance industry. Joe has a elaborate history in the, the, the I'd say, the, from the birth of digital insurance to today. And we've been talking about a lot of the disintermediation and changes, as well as some of the areas that will continue to evolve. Uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested in some of the things that we've been talking about in terms of the, the of evolution of home insurance, the continued changes that we're going to see in the auto insurance space. So, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. If someone wanted to reach you, where should they find you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, either for Just For Harvest Moon. Um, and that would be a great way to start. To find me there and uh, just drop me a line. I'd love to talk to you. Great. Joe, thank you so much for being on Uncaged. Okay, thank you for having me. Have a great day. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.